0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. God is giving us our treasures. And the Lord took me to Matthew chapter 6, so if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. We are going to read just a handful of verses here, and we hear from Jesus. In the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount... We get here uh, near the crescendo of that great sermon. And he says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful time we've been able to experience together here in your church. And now, God, as we focus on your word today, as we focus on the future you have for us, help us, Lord, to bear down and to see... Lord, what our role as individual members of the church, as Christians called according to your name, help us, Lord, to see our part in this, how we can treasure what is important individually and how we can treasure what is important corporately. God, speak through your word today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I guess I'm just nostalgic today, thinking back to years gone by. Uh, some of you know this, but I was called to my first pastorate when I was 19. I think the, the 10th sermon I ever preached was in view of a call, which um, there's a word for that, and that is insane. <clears throat> I was 20 years old and dealing with big people problems, and I was a little people. I didn't know anything. I didn't know my left hand from my right, but the Lord was good and gracious. I already told you about surviving a business meeting. Let me tell you about another thing I survived as a young pastor, When I was 20 years old, I was pastoring a a little church called Sandy Creek Baptist Church. And doesn't that sound country? Because it is. We were out in the hinterland there in southern Illinois in what they call uh, Little Egypt. If you've ever been to that part of the world, all the little towns around there are named after Egyptian cities. I don't know why. It doesn't look like Egypt. In fact, what it looks like is farm ground as far as the eye can see. Beautiful farm ground. The further north you get in Illinois, it gets a little richer, but still, there's some great farms down there in southern Illinois. Well, when you pastor around a bunch of farms, guess who the people are you're pastoring? Well, farmers, of course. And I grew up uh, near farms and farmers, and some of my best friends growing up, their dad's farm, so I was somewhat familiar with it. We used to run around on farms and do stuff that I wouldn't tell you about right now because I don't know how we survived, but we did. We did. But I had never really uh, been a part of the farming ethos. I had never uh, been that guy that you know drives tractors and stuff like that. But for some reason, some of the church members there at Sandy Creek thought it would be a good idea to put me in some of their big equipment and let me drive it. There's this one thing called a Steiger. You ever heard of that? It's articulated in the middle. And so when you're driving it, it just doesn't turn the way you think it should turn. And a lot of mailboxes almost bit the dust because I was... Trying to drive that down the middle of a country road and almost couldn't do it. But what I remember most, what really sticks in my mind, was one time, about this time of year, probably about a month later, it was in October, my very first year, I wasn't quite even 21 years of age, they, uh, this one farmer guy thought it would be funny to stick me in a combine. Now, those are million-dollar uh, pieces of equipment, I would assume now. I, back then, they were in the hundreds of thousands, and since everything costs more, I'm assuming they're a lot of money. So this guy lets me get in his gleaner, okay, which back in those days was the competition for John Deere. You were either John Deere guy or gleaner guy, and people would fight about that. Now, you've heard about Ford and Chevy fights, right? When well, in the country, they fought about John Deere and gleaner, at least they did 25 years ago. So I was driving this gleaner, and I was actually uh, gleaning some, some, uh, some corn, and I was trying to keep it straight, and I just couldn't do it. It just wanted to wallow on me. You know that word? Well, you probably know it better like waller. It's waller. It's more of a waller than a wallow. Anyway, started to waller on me. And I was like, how in the world? So I I was thinking, I'm thinking out loud here, and I'm missing whole rows of corn. The farmer thinks it's the funniest thing. In fact, it was right beside a main road, and he left all that corn standing all year long so he could tell his friends that's the part the pastor did. (laughs) That's not Christian charity. But as I'm driving this thing and thinking, you know, this is a big machine. How in the world do these guys have such straight rows? Because even though I was missing those straight rows, they they were straight. They were very, very straight. And here's what the farmer said. He said, to keep it straight, you have to get a fixed point, a tree or a fence post or something in the far end of the field. And he says, you had to focus on that point. And if you keep your eye on that point, you will go straight. And your rows will be straight accordingly. Friends, in all seriousness, that's what we're doing here today. We're making sure that the rows are straight, that the job we're doing is what God would have us do. I'm here to tell you, as the senior pastor of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, there are a lot of things that can distract us, there are a lot of good things that we can do. But it is imperative and absolutely important that we find our fixed point. That's what these treasure principles are. These treasure principles are moving us ahead into the future that God wants us to have. So many of us have an attention span like a squirrel. Or or more aptly, we see a squirrel, oh, and we lose track of what we're doing. This is to make sure that squirrely Baptists stay moving straight ahead. I want you to realize that what you treasure most, and this is a quote from D.A. Carson, one of the most profound and prolific scholars of our day. He says this, what you treasure most will tug at your minds and emotions. It will consume your time with planning, daydreaming, and effort. I think last week I even shared with either this crowd or the Wednesday night crowd the, the idea of daydreaming. When was the last time that you daydreamed about the things of God? Well, when we daydream about the things of God, I think that they should be treasures, treasures that Jesus would call treasures, treasures that we as a church call treasures. You identify as a treasure. Ridgecrest is a church, and I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a few in Springfield. There's a few churches in Springfield. We don't lack for churches. So what we need to realize is is that God calls every single church to its own unique place in the kingdom, In so many ways, that's what these treasure principles do. When people say, what is it with Ridgecrest? Why do you go to Ridgecrest? Well, it's because of these things that we treasure, these things that are biblical, these things that drive us day in and day out. Let me give you one more picture to illustrate. Uh, Aubrey Malfers, uh, who is a great guy in terms of church strategy, wrote this wonderful little book, Look Before You Lead. And in it, he gives this picture of an apple, So if you can imagine, at the core of the apple, that's our basic Baptist doctrine. Say that five times fast. Basic Baptist doctrine. That's that's our biblical convictions. That's why when I preach, I don't just get up here and and talk willy-nilly about whatever. Waller, willy-nilly, where have I been? I was in Chicago last week. I'll tell you, they don't talk like that up there. Where I was born, they do, but nonetheless... The core of the apple is theological and biblical. But what's the majority of the apple? The majority of the apple is the flesh. These treasure principles are the flesh. They are the the, the main part of of who we are, the tasty bits of, of what we do. Now, the skin, that outside part, that's our behavior. That's just what the world sees But if that skin of the apple is going to be healthy, obviously the core has to be healthy, and obviously the flesh has to be healthy. And then what the world will see is a church that loves Jesus and is called according to his purpose. That's what we want. We want these values uh, to, to shine forth in our community, but we don't call them values. We call them our treasures This morning I want you to think with me for a few moments about what Jesus means when he speaks of treasures in heaven. And what we want to do is for a few moments distinguish between the treasures of this earth, which he talks about, and the treasures of heaven, which he tells us we need to invest in. Malfors goes on and says this, that statements like this... Statements like the, the, the flesh of the apple, our treasure principles, help us understand our distinct ministry calling as a congregation. They help drive our personal involvement in ministry. Notice this. This only works if it's personal to you. If you say, yes, I want to be involved in one or many of these principles, you are to be involved. It keeps us focused on what is important. It guides any change that needs to take place. It influences our behaviors. It inspires us to action. It enhances credibility in our leadership. And it shapes ministry character and will lead to ministry success. I think it's kind of interesting that Malfour says that a pastor needs to be in the pulpit about five years before something like this is done. Anybody counting? We're almost there. So the timing is right. A lot has happened in the last five years, amen? amen. This world's crazier than it was five years ago. Who'd have thunk it? It's a different world, but it is the world that Jesus has put us in. Let's not lament what is. Let's change the world with Jesus, with the power of the gospel, let's be guided by our principles, and let's let them speak with power. Here, very quickly, let me run down the seven principles, and at the end, I'll give a little bit more detail, but really, the detail, we'll have have a book for you that we're going to hand to you. It's a little short booklet. It's not a book. It's not... 80 pages or something. It's a little booklet. And it'll unpack these principles in greater depth. And then this afternoon online, there'll be a series of short videos that also describe that. And you'll hear from different people on our staff about these seven principles. But here they are. Number one, as Rich has already alluded to, is the worship of God. The second one is the souls of all people. And underline that word all. The hearts of people. And here's where we're going to talk about emotional care. Right in the middle is the family. The family. We treasure the family. Number five, we treasure the vulnerable. Number six, we treasure the discipling of believers. And number seven, we treasure the developing of servant leaders. Those seven principles don't necessarily articulate every single specific ministry we do but every specific ministry we do every single one fits under those seven categories the things we are doing I believe fit under those treasure principles and so as we look at this today I pray that God will ignite our hearts and give us determination to treasure What he treasures. So let's talk about first earth's lesser treasures. In verse 19, let's listen to it again. Jesus begins our text for today with a warning, a negative. Do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. As I said earlier, I believe this is the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And the entire chapter really deals with this dichotomy, the difference between earthly and heavenly rewards. Rewards are what we're calling treasures that are earthbound, Jesus tells us here, have no spiritual value and are only going to diminish our spiritual blessings. The first 18 verses, Jesus is warning a group of people, the Pharisees, about their hypocritical behavior. These false teachers treasured reputation and all outward forms of religion, but their hearts were far from God. Now, I could probably stop right here for 10 minutes. I won't do it. But let me just say, one of the things we have to really be careful of, if we don't have good, solid biblical values, if we're not treasuring what God wants us to treasure, what we fall into is the error of the Pharisees, where we begin to see that church is religion, and religion is our actions, what we do and do not do, and when that's what we focus on more than anything else, we forget to love people and love God as we ought to. The Pharisees knew their Bibles better than you or I do, but they had lost their love, their first love, and that is what we cannot do. This is a powerful word of warning. We are told here to watch our hearts To think about what we treasure in our hearts. I know, I get it. It seems like our enemies are in there, in the world, out there, trying to bring us down. It looks like the culture is anti-Christian. It looks like there are many, that's what we tend to focus on, but I'm here to tell you, the more I've meditated and ruminated on this, I believe with all my heart that the greatest enemy to the church is a hard heart in the pews. We can fight the good fight if our hearts are right with God. We will lose the good fight if our hearts are not right. And it all boils down to this, what are we treasuring? Your heart is either, um, I think Rich said it this way, it's becoming more fleshy than stony. Uh, that's a, that's a, I, I, that kind of caught my ear because um, it sounds like something my people would say in western Kentucky. But nonetheless, you know, uh, That's the truth. If we have earthly treasures, our hearts, only earthly treasures, our hearts will grow cold and hard. I want you to realize that earthly treasures are by default lesser treasures. Anything that moth and rust can destroy, we are told, anything that thieves can break in and steal, we are reminded of, are of this lesser variety of treasures. The older we get the more we realize that everything in this world is truly insecure. I was reading the other day about how uh, that we have all these fancy passwords and all of these encrypted things to keep things safe, like our bank accounts and our credit cards, but there's always somebody out there clever enough to break the code. Everything in this world, we can build up all the walls we want. We can do everything in our power to ensure against disaster But I'm here to tell you, the treasures of this world, you cannot mitigate, you cannot legislate, you can't do anything, eight, that's going to protect those things. Because they are of this world, therefore they are, by definition, perishable. If it can be lost, it is not a heavenly treasure. So let me just put it to you this way, plain and simple. If we're trying to decide if something in our lives is either earthly treasure or heavenly treasure, all we need to ask is this question. If I can lose it, it is not heavenly. When it is a heavenly treasure, it has eternal significance and value. Too many of us, I believe, are exchanging eternal things for temporal things. Many church members are betting on things that will not last. That is a losing bet. We need to pour our energies into the promises of God, not the promises of this world. We need to make sure that God is paramount in all we do and make sure that our master is Jesus. Jesus says this in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now hear me out. Money isn't the only earthly treasure. But it does represent kind of the core of earthly treasures. When that is what we dream about, daydream about, obsess over, it could be that we are putting too much emphasis on earthly things. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, God is pointing us in a different direction. He is pointing us to heaven's lasting treasures. Let's take a look at verse 20. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. I want you to see something here in that text in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves. I know that so much of what we talk about in church is corporately oriented. In other words, we're talking about who we are in Christ as a, as a body. Even these treasure principles has a corporate sense in terms of what we're doing as the body of Christ. But I want you to realize that the promise of Jesus as it relates to treasures begins with you. Lay up for yourselves. Let me tell you, it's not that we can just have the treasure on Sunday morning and and Wednesday nights. I almost said Sunday nights, but we're so evolved, we don't even do Sunday nights unless we have one banner. And then you have to come back and everybody's crying about it. (laughs) Don't cry about it, just come to church, all right? There's no crying in worship. Well, yeah, there is occasionally. But listen to me, we need to realize that God has called us to something beautiful here that we can experience ourselves. It is for you. These treasures are not just for Ridgecrest in some kind of uh, a corporate sense, they're for you, because God loves you. And when we treasure what Jesus treasures, then we are putting all of our eggs in a basket that will never burn up. 2 Peter 3.10 tells us that the whole world's going to burn up someday. But not these eternal things. Those who put their heart's focus on treasures in heaven are investing in the best of life. Jesus is saying, Lay up these things. He's inviting you to start an eternal heavenly savings account. Souls, souls, souls. When what we do is for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls, that is eternal. That means it is a treasure principle that Jesus would affirm because Jesus came to this earth to save us from our sins and because we have souls. These principles guide our earthly investments in a spiritual sense. I sort of think of it like this. It's like an investment strategy. The seven principles are an investment strategy in a spiritual realm where we're saying this is where we want to invest our time and our money. This is where we want to give our hearts. This is where our calling is. But I have to tell you, in the world today, there are many people who seem to be more concerned about blessings, getting blessings, than being a blessing. Shouldn't we be more concerned about being obedient than being blessed in any worldly sense? i got to tell you, no matter how successful a person is in this world, there is something in them that is eternal. I was writing in my journal yesterday, I, I, I'm always reading history, and, and there's those moments where, you know, you know, kind of the dark side of Jeremy that I'm letting you into for a moment. You know, I'll be reading about this famous person in history, and I'll think, well, they're dead. They're gone. Uh, their time has come and gone. No matter how powerful they were, their time has come and gone. They, they don't have a voice in this world anymore. Now, they have a voice from history, but that's, a, that's getting more and more faint as time goes by. I mean, when we look at time and we look at our place in time, we all realize that we don't have much time. But here's the deal. If we try to invest in ourselves, that's a bad investment. If we're just trying to take what God has given us and say, oh, look at the blessings I have. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Listen, you were blessed to be a blessing. You were given what you have. And by the way, in America, um, most of us, uh, almost all of us in America, are rich by the world standards. So when, when I'm talking about people rich and poor, we all say, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. Well, let me tell you, by the world standards, you are rich. Where in, the, in Lesotho, where we have a team right now, I guarantee you, you are rich beyond your imagination. They can't fathom the kind of blessings you have in your life. When I was in West Pocot, which is in Kenya, out in the bush, I'm going to tell you, I saw what poverty looks like. I could, I've read a lot about it. I've studied the anthropology. I know it in my mind, but I smelled it with my nostrils. I could smell it. I could see it. I saw people who had to walk like 20 kilometers a day to get water before wells were dug in that part of the world. Can you imagine? And women, it was the women that were doing that work, not the men. Don't get me started on that. But the point is, you are rich. You are blessed. You are blessed. Be a blessing. Think about eternal things. Invest in those who need it most. When we treasure the things that God treasures, our treasures will last. Take stock of where your treasures are. How do you know if your treasures are of the heavenly variety? Think for a moment about what you worry about the most. Do you worry about the things of God or the things of this world? If you say, honestly, pastor, I do worry about the things of this world more, well, let me just say, the good doctor would say to you, Dr. Muniz would say, it is very likely that you have affluenza, that you are sick because of your affluence, your money. If that's what you obsess over, it's because that's where your treasure is, We need to check our hearts. We need to have a spiritual checkup because we must make sure that our most cherished values are established by God. Let me circle back to what D.A. Carson said. He said that what you treasure will tug at your mind and emotions. It will consume your planning, your daydreaming, and dictate how you expend your daily store of energy. Think with me, brothers and sisters. You only have so much bandwidth every day. Only so much. Oh, of course, you understand 24 hours in a day, but forget that for a moment. Just think about the quality, not the quantity, the quality of your hours. How much of your time is spent in things that legitimately connect to those things that Jesus treasures? That's the sort of questions, hard questions, we must ask ourselves that we make sure That we are treasuring eternal treasures and not earthly treasures. And finally, we have this question, where's your heart? Verse 21, where's your heart? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? What are you focused on? Let's take a moment and let me just walk through a couple things with you here with our treasure principles. The worship of God. We treasure the worship of God because this is something we get to participate in this world that we will participate forever in the next. When we are singing, I love this. I think, uh, uh, who was it? It was Tim Keller, I think. I heard him say this one time. Um, He was talking about how when we are singing with all of our hearts, it's almost like that membrane between here and heaven just is permeated, is punctured for just a moment, and we're singing with the saints who have gone on before us. We treasure the worship of God. As I've been sharing with our Wednesday night crowd as we're going through Psalms, we need to think about worship as more than the moment on Sunday, the moment on Wednesday. Let me ask you, how much are you preparing to worship? You see, if we treasure worship, we're going to prepare. Imagine if you've got a big meeting on Monday and you're, you're going to be with a lot of people who can make a big difference in your life. My guess is, is you're going to spend a little bit of time, maybe even make some notes, you're going to prepare for that meeting. Do you realize on Sunday mornings, you're coming in here to meet with God, and most of you have not prepared? If we treasure worship, we'll prepare our hearts so that we make the most of it. I kind of joke, you know, some people say, well, pastor, I just didn't get anything out of your sermon. Well, that could be my fault, but it's most likely your fault. Now, don't take that personally, I don't think I'm that good, but I know this, we preach the word here. And the word's good enough. So here's the deal. When you're not getting anything, that means you came in here completely unprepared. You didn't study for the test. You didn't get ready for the meeting. Surprise, surprise, you failed the test. Surprise, surprise, you didn't get the client. Guess what? When we invest in something, that means we treasure it. We're concerned. Be concerned about the worship of God. The second thing that we are treasuring here are the souls of people. This is evangelism and missions. Friends, we are all in when it comes to evangelism and missions. We are going to reach our community in this next year. We want each of you to share the gospel seven times. We are all in for evangelism and missions. We have missionaries around the world that we support. We send teams there all the time. But here's the deal we as a church can do a lot of things, but we need you to just be a faithful and consistent witness. Just in this room, if all of us share Jesus once this week, we will have a conversation or two or three or ten that will bear spiritual. Fruit. There may be six or seven hundred duds, but let me say this if we had seven people that we touched their hearts this week, that could change the world. We need to treasure souls, and I'm going to tell you, God's been all over me in this. I want to be a better witness. I want you to be a better witness. I know we can be a better witness because we treasure souls. The third thing is a little bit different. I think this is something the Lord has put on my heart the last several years, and that is the hearts of all people. We treasure the hearts of all people, and this is what I call emotional care. I believe the church for years focused on discipleship here and let this part go. When I say emotional care, yes, I'm talking about counseling. Yes, I'm talking about caring for you in an emotional, spiritual way, absolutely, but hear me out. I believe if you want to be an on-fire disciple of Jesus, you need to know more about God, yes, but you need to know more about your own heart, You need to let God bring you peace inside. We treasure, we treasure the hearts of people because we know Satan is always attacking the hearts of people. And so emotional care matters to us. Right in the middle, notice, with seven principles, right in the middle, we have the family. We are all in for the family. We have family ministries that start with the birth of of a child and, and a family and go all the way now through college. We've added the college age This week, we've already seen fruit from that ministry. God is moving in a great way. We believe that the family unit is important. When we pour into families, I think we're pouring into something that God treasures. We treasure the family. The vulnerable. We know here at Ridgecrest that we are all in for widows and orphans, and we are looking for adoption opportunities and fostering. We are looking for opportunities in every single place we can, where we see vulnerable people. And listen, let's open our minds. Vulnerable people can be addicts. It can be all kinds of people, people who are struggling in numerous ways. Anywhere we see a vulnerable soul, we want to care for them. Let me say this. The devil is cruel. When he sees a vulnerable soul, he goes after them because they are easy prey, But we're going to go after them first. And we're going to love them well so that they do not stay in the position of vulnerability. And then number six and seven is the discipling of believers, which is discipleship And we know that that is a mandate from Jesus in Matthew 28, that we are to care for one another and disciple one another and help us grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And finally, we want to be a leader in the development of servant leaders. We want to be a church where people are called to ministry, to pastor, to preach. I was sitting at a table with some uh, leaders in our state Um, Baptist convention, we were talking about some of the things that we love that's going on in the churches and some of the the things we're worried about. One of the things we talked about as a point of worry is that we're not seeing young men fill the call to ministry especially when, and I said men because of the, the, the pulpit and the senior pastor, that kind of ministry, we're not seeing young men and women called to ministry in that broader sense of missionaries and evangelists and things of that nature. It seems like the world is moving every one of our kids in the direction of the world, but we want to see servant leaders developed up in our church. We believe in that, and we want to pour into them. And so, As we finish this up today, we just want to make sure that we all understand that these treasure principles, they're not fancy. You say, well, why did that take you a year? Well, we prayed and we sought. We were looking for the right words. We were looking for the right way to express it. But we believe that we have found the essence, the treasures of Ridgecrest. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. So to do these things, we're going to have to have great faith. Let me read to you Colossians 3, 1 and following. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Those are the treasure principles, I think. Where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think that passage speaks to our treasures. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and following. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now I want you to hone in on that last, of those last two words, truly life. If these treasure principles are from the Bible and from the heart of Jesus, what we do will lead to true life. Oh, friends, where is your heart? Do you love Jesus? Do you love souls? Will you leverage every blessing you have so that you can worship Christ and serve people? Chapter 6, verse 33 of Matthew, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you will serve the Lord right, he'll take care of everything else. I want to finish with this last word. It is a word of warning. We were joking around in one of our meetings, but it's gone from a joke to a reality. For a while, we only had six principles. I won't tell you how we changed things around. Um, and we, were, we would go around and do this. But now that we have seven, we go around and do this. We talk about the eighth principle. It's not necessarily something we treasure, but it's a warning you need to hear. If we are a church on fire for Jesus and treasuring the things that Jesus treasures, we need to be watching out for principle number eight, which is chaos. If we are a ship with no sail And we're just showing up on Sundays and we're really not making any spiritual difference. The devil will leave us alone. But if we are focused on the things that Jesus treasures, we will be target number one. So when we come to the end of this service, I want to just ask you to do two things. If you are here today and you know that you need to get your heart aligned with Jesus, in particular to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to treasure him as your Savior, please come forward. Many of you in this room are believers. You've been believers a long time, but you've not been treasuring the things that God wants you to treasure. And third, some of you are in a good place, but I need you to do this for me. I need you to pray for me to mitigate against number eight. Chaos is coming to the church who is Christ-filled. And we need to be ready for that and okay with it. Let me tell you, the suffering is worth it, if souls are saved. So as we come to this invitation, come and pray. Thank Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.